0: Hello and welcome. You're listening to Lore and Legend with your host, Rick Scott, bringing you legendary tales inspired by the rich traditions of world folklore and mythology. Today, we're going to be having something a bit different. Our guest teller is Sarah Pearl. Now, Sarah is a writer and a researcher who trained in English literature, creative writing and psychology. Inspired by her father's ghost stories, her mother's family histories and her maternal grandfather's love of local folklore and folk tales. Sarah's performing a short story for us, a meditation on a classic British folk tale. Now recent headlines have announced that wolves and bears are returning to the British landscape for the first time in centuries. A project by the British Zoological Society will see European brown bears and wolves settled in the ancient woodland of Bear Wood near Bristol. There, visitors will be able to see them roaming about in their enclosures. Now, in the folklore of the British Isles, there are many stories and reports that purport to deal with the death of the island's last surviving wolf. Wolves once roamed the British countryside. They often grew to sizes that rivaled those of Arctic wolves, and they were loathed and feared for the danger that they presented to travellers and to farming livestock. They also had the habit of desecrating human burials, and it was perhaps this that made them most hated of all. Eventually, the practice of offering bounties for the hunting of wolves, combined with large-scale forest clearance, led to their extermination. Many local folklores claim to relate the story of Britain's last wolf, dating its death as early as the 14th century, and as late as the 18th. Claimants include the village of Lugun in Cornwall, the village of Bartumley in Cheshire, Perry Oaks near London, Worm Hill in Derbyshire, and the county of Moray in Scotland. But Sarah's story today is inspired by one of the best-known tales, hailing from Lancashire in Cumbria, where England's last wolf is said to have been struck down on the beach beneath the limestone crags of Humphrey's Head. I first heard a version of the tale from an activities instructor in the Lake District who ran a business called Last Wolf Adventures and went by the name of Wolfie. The tale is told that the local noble family, the Harringtons, had sworn to exterminate the last wolf in the county and, it was said, in England. Sir Edgar Harrington promised the hand of his niece and half of his lands to whoever carried out the deed. And this... Romantic, chivalric tale was published anonymously as a poem in Solby's Ulverston Advertiser and General Intelligencer in Lancashire, England, on Thursday the 28th of April, 1853. Here's a taster. For know that on the morrow's dawn with all who list to ride, Sir Edgar Harrington have sworn to hunt the countryside... A wolf, the last, as rumour saith, in England's spacious realm, is doomed that day to meet its death and grace the conqueror's helm. And he is sworn an oath beside, whoe'er that wolf shall quell, shall have his fair niece for a bride, and half his lands as well. Now, containing all the usual trappings of a knightly ballad, a mysterious stranger shows up to win the hand of Sir Edgar's niece by hunting down the last wolf, but is at last revealed to be her long-lost sweetheart who departed for foreign climes. But taking a different approach to our usual tellings, Sarah's story tells the tale from the perspective not of the hunter, but of the wolf. This is Sarah Pearl with The Last Wolf in England.
1: On nights like this, I think I hear them in the heart of the storm. Those lost voices echo, echo from a throat of stone, resounding round the cold, curved caverns. The wind walls kick up foam flecks from a heaving sea, their hunt hurtling toward the horizon. The gale eases to a breeze, each drop echoes expanding to fill the silence. I search the surf. Ears up, paws poised on the lip of limestone. Great boughs lie broken on the battered beach. A long, low lament, like the call of some extraordinary bird, pauses my pores. It is the other pack, the two-leg pack. I am fast. I am smart. I know the land. The echo returns. Am I fast enough? Am I smart enough? Do I know enough? Past the crest of storm-bent hawthorns leaning inland, past the cliff housing my home, I dive into slippery sea grass, starry blue swath, heading northeast across the rain-slicked plain. From the northwest, the sharp bark of yappers, the whinny of knaves, murmurous laughter, multitudinous. Mud tugs at my pores. Mist raises the night map to my nose. Here, a vanished fall updraft of vow. Here, a rabbit's terror in the fox's teeth. Here, bitter disembowelment. Here, an old badger loves. Here, a hedgehog grieves. I could find them all, follow them, excavate their lives breath by breath. None will save me. The mist catches in my fur in tiny constellations. Two legs have poor noses and slow pores. Their ingenuity lies in hives that rise, the claws they forge, the circles they cut from the sun. Like ants they farm, like bees they build, like wolves they hunt. They enclose froth-fleeced mutton, bald beef, snuffling pork, like honey in honeycomb, fiercely defended. Without the yappers, they cannot find me. Without the naves, they cannot reach me. Without numbers, they cannot overpower me. A strategy crystallises in my brain. I am no creature's prey. I will make the land itself turn and tear them in its teeth. Behind me to the southwest, a great cry goes up. They have my scent. The chase is on. I leap forward. Sapling-sized trees at last dart past, left, right, left, right, and round, doubling back. Feathered ferns fly under my feet. My pores spore false trails, leave a labyrinth, and out, into the light. The wind is in my favour, eastbound. Do I dare? I swing west toward their two-leg hive. Silently, I circle the western side, lodge like a great boulder in the grassland. I cross and recross my recent trails. The hive is a curious honeycomb of cubes. When I was a child, a bereaved she on the shores of the great lake found and raised a two-legged cub. We thought her very strange. He learned to walk four-legged like a person, and even spoke a few words, but could not sing or run. His teeth were tiny, and his claws soft. The two legs hunted him in the end. Perhaps he was to them, as the yappers are to us, uncanny. I hear the two-leg pack break from the woods, and they are not at all pitiful or helpless. But death advancing, north, brushing the dry grass of the western shore, sea spray salting my tongue. The wooded slopes break over me. Cool loom. In my ears, the rush of river. I veer toward the rapids, swollen by flood water, choosing a place deep but not too deep. I lap cool rain swell. Step in, paddling. The water engulfs me. Bone cold. Head up! I remember my uncle tilting his chin as he taught us to swim. Head up! I strain to crane my mouth and nose above the froth-flecked flow, letting the cold water carry me west, seaward. The current catches my hind leg, pulling me down, and I struggle, struggle to surface, gasping, swept swift downstream, the leaves of the woods blurring and merging, have I miscalculated. I swim strong toward the riverbank, stagger onto shore, with silent steps, I slip up the slopes under cool clouds of leaves flickering in the breeze. The shadows of pines pattern my path, regular as rows of ribs. The scent maps are clear here, a rabbits paw, hearth of venison, slither of snake. I spy the rabbit. It spies me. I strike, but miss until the second snap. Worried by breakfast, I dart through flashes of sunlight and shade. to flares between the trees. Out from concealing cover, I rush over lush grass. Upwards and upwards, over coarse grass and gorse, between boulders, stones jutting out like shoulder bones. The hills rise around, jagged teeth in a gigantic jaw, the river gulping the great lake into the sea. Upwards and upwards, above a gorge of cracked slate, jail slides and shifts on the poor. The mountains catch low clouds in their steep teeth like wisps of fleece. Up and up, I hear them behind me. I reach up, clawing at cracks, climbing, climbing at last. A breath that ends in sky. At the apex, the world rolls away. I scrabble along cloud-slick slate, dizzied by the expanse. Immense tides of bright, and shadow glide across the slopes, like trout slipping from sun to shade. My ears flick east, west, then not yet at the slope. The ridge ends in an incline with a slope on either side. I take a deep breath, leap, skid down on shattered shale, falling fast, the wind whipping past, timing, timing, I leap from the slope onto the soft grass by the tarn, limp forward and lap a lick of light. My mother showed us how to lie in wait here, leap precisely, claws out, jaws snapping to catch the flapping fish. Hoof, skid on shale, no time for trout. Down, 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 descending through slate and shale, grass and gorse, cra- crags loom, All the veils are shadowed now. Down, down into a deep dip, dense with undergrowth. I squeeze into a cave. It smells of home. steady blink of water in the darkness, like the heartbeat of the earth. They will be searching the riverbank, or the top of the hill. I wait, listening. The first sight I ever saw was here. My father's face, nudging food to my mother. She licked his cheek tenderly. Both are gone now, my brothers and sisters too. Little furballs, fathers and mothers themselves. Safe. I am safe. Every passing heartbeat reassures me. They weren't safe, the echo responds. A buck. I leap to my feet, ears up, eyes wide. Another buck. My heart sinks. I close my eyes, listen. On the ridge, they murmur in confusion. Turn around. Go away. A scrabble of claws on slate, a cry, the yappers have gone over. A bark, another bark, no time to hesitate, I wrestle my way out through claws of gorse, leaving fragments of skin and fur. I overlap my trail, now there's hay-fed naves, speckled with spit and sweat, yappers heavy with overheated meat, 2 legs smoke and stale sacks, grass seeds and yeast-rotting grapes, the foothills reek of their excitement. I diverge, splash along little lake, mossy stones furred underfoot. Calm grasslands contrast with sharp adrenaline, the rasp of my lungs, the burgundy ache of limb and sinew. I must gain now, now, while the running is smooth. Mouth-watering scents of mushroom and beef drift up from the two-legged pastures. I long for a hunting partner for big game. My sister was speedy, ingenious. Later, my husband was clever, efficient. I feel again my sister's teeth in my throat, murder in her eyes, and shake the thought away. It's been a long time since I scented them, exile as I am. Passing these places, I'd hoped to catch a whiff of someone wandering by. I've called from high and low, east, west, north. The silence began two winters ago, one winter after leaving my husband's pack, after the humiliating duel with my sister. I see him again, bright eyes turning away grey shoulder, grey back, grey tail, large footprint slipping further and further away. What use is such centre of regret? His pity spared me, and I was pitiful. Now the nights are silent, but the two-leg hives are alive with noise. There are two beside the rising pass. Ahead of me, broad, expansive, still and bright, gleams an immense, glimmering scale. The Great Lake. This is the limit of my lands, beyond this other land, silent, perhaps unclaimed. I have expanded, consolidating carefully. Now I hold the domains of my parents, siblings, husband, and all our competitors besides. Rich seafood and sea fowl to the south, mutton to east and west, beef to the north, and the central venison forests. Here, at the limit of my lands, I wonder... Am I the last person left alive? Breath, hoofs, and harness snap my reverie. I cross the south street near this morning's rapids, careful to meet my earlier trail. I slip up the slope. This, this will finish them. Bluegrass, boulders, and beef sweep by. At the top, the wind buffets my fur this way and that, pushing my pores forward. Below, the lake spreads out a pool of perfect blue. Beautiful. I inhale sky and dive, down the steepest of slopes, leaping at speed. The sky flies by, roaring down, down into the trees. At that moment, the low moan of the two-leg pack sounds and rebounds, pouring into, flooding, engulfing the land. How many? How many, made it? Where can I lose them? My limbs shiver with weariness. As I wind through the woods, it seems to me that distant barks come from behind every tree. I shake my head. I am not done, I can run, the wind is in my favour. I follow the salt scent of sea, the distant cry of gulls. The shade of the forest stretches far beyond the last fringe of fronds. I pause a moment, soothed. I raise my children in these woods. It flutters by, my daughter, leaping to catch a butterfly, rising high, falling on her nose with a cry. There in the shadows are all the moments lost to light. A bark. My heart clenches and I shiver. I step into the sun. Tree tall legs and foliage fur running ahead of me. Already halfway there. The tide has retired to the horizon. Even crabs, starfish, and shells, shell duck, curlew, and red shank are already picking their way among abundance. I run forward, paws sinking through soft surf. White wings rise with cries around me like a snow school. I trot along the water's edge as my footprints fill. To my left, sky and sea-born stars glitter in the rising dark. My shadow runs darkly through the waves. A bark. I wade onto shore along the familiar route home, forcing my feet across dark grass. Night is on my side. Maybe they won't follow. Maybe they'll lose the trail. Maybe I can go home. I am so tired, a weariness beyond weariness. Legs so heavy it feels I'm swimming underwater. Maybe I can rest. But the wind changes, slowly blowing toward the shore. The familiar Utopped ridge rises on the horizon. Hum, I have a trap there, in the place I know best. I am confident of success. But the grassland wavers in front of my eyes, undulating, rippling, I stumble. A cry cuts my clouded mind. The peregrine He sees them, I realize, he circles, soars higher, I wish I could. I pad on toward the rise, glance back and see them. Two! Just two! Only two! Two yappers, two nays, two tuliks. To my surprise delight, I can survive! The yappers cry, accelerate. Painfully, claw by claw, rock by rock, I drag myself up the ridge. At the top, I totter to the edge, peer over sit, and wait. The yappers stagger up the slope, more tired than I. One limps, one exposes his throat, I note both openings. Closer, closer. Come on, I'm sitting right here. One raises its head and roars in a frenzy. Hoofbeats close behind them, good. The two legs raise a weary hurrah. The yappers snapping jaws are six lengths away. Five, four, three, I step backward slide down the slope, roll and tumble over and over, over and over, scratched and battered and bruised. It seems to go on forever, thud after thud, ending abruptly. The ground spins beneath me, but I'm staring up into the purple twilight. Alive. I close my eyes. Two shrieking high-pitched whines peter up close behind. Well, if you will insist on following me everywhere I go. I force myself to my feet. Discovering a sprained poor and bruised back, I can walk, but not much further. Nearby, two bundles of muscular fur writhe. I can take them. I look up. The grey neigh, head reared back, eyes white, balks at the cliff. The two-legged rider looks down at me. I look up at him. In his eyes, anger, frustration, exhaustion, defeat. He turns away. I feel a weary elation. I hobble along the beach. A bone-chilling scream rebounds from cliff to cliff. I turn to see a huge white shape plunging over, the white knee, long limbs twisting, bending, breaking as it tumbles over and over, crushed under its own great weight. The yappers skitter out of the way as it lands with a sickening thud, limbs contorted, eyes wide, gnashing teeth frothed with blood. The two-leg forced it over. We hunt to eat, to live, not to die. What is this? This isn't a hunt, what is this? The yappers run toward the nape, no, toward the two-leg rising unsteadily from the twitching mass of flesh. I lull lopsidedly along the beach, my feet keep running reflexively. What is this? If this isn't a hunt, what is this? The two-leg is behind me, advancing, leaning on a tree branch like a third leg. We progress along the beach under a rising moon four struggling bleeding creatures the two leg is breathing heavily i smell its blood the yap is fussing over it like it's their family member i wonder whether the Nay felt that way too i clench my jaw drag pore over paw, forward forward the two leg paces me now in an odd parody of companionship we stumble along limps identical i glare and snarl a warning it looks back tiredly with certainty the gaze of a hunter sure of its prey. It calls and the yapper's leap, sinking claws and teeth through fur and skin, gnawing agonisingly. Teeth grate on bone, my hind leg collapses. Night arrives, in black spots swarming over the beach. Blindly I sweep claws across its face, feel its jellied eye collapse. The yapper falls away, its companion glances back, I catch it hard by the throat and throw it it lies on the sand, breath gurgling out, first rushes to its side, whining. I crawl forward, paw over paw, the two leg paces me patiently. It is waiting for me to die. I will not die on my belly in the sand. With rage, with fury i will every fiber of my being to stand i study the two leg carefully it's a duel. i realize it was a duel from the start many against one cowards i search its furless face it meets my eyes with a flicker of uncertainty for the first time it faces me alone for the first time i smell its fear it is enough with everything Everything I have, I leap for its exposed throat. Jaws open, it moves its hand. Mid-air, my chest bursts. My breath splashes out, blooded. I fall. Everything is blood. My blood. A sapling stands through my ribcage, pointing out toward the horizon. The bone-pale moon looks like a shell, or a butterfly like my daughter, leaping, my husband turning away, my sister's eyes, my brother's, the first sky I saw, scent of mother, milk and morning. the two legs hand blots out the moon as it uproots the tree, and my blood floods the sea.
0: An expanded and unabridged version of Sarah's Last Wolf story is available for £2 on Amazon Kindle. You can search for Last Wolf by S. s.pearl on Amazon, or you can find the link in our episode description and on the blog post on our main website. Now, when Wolfie told me his version of the Last Wolf tale, he claimed that if you took up a rock from the beach at Humphrey Head and rubbed it in the water... The water would run red because the blood of the last wolf had been soaked into the stones. Now that's a nice detail and it might be down to something to do with iron deposits in the local limestone. Perhaps a visitor to Humphrey's head could confirm this for us. Sarah has made her own pilgrimage to Humphrey Head recently, although a closure on the beach prevented her from confirming the tale about the rocks that bleed wolf's blood. You can read an account of her visit and her meditations on the last wolf tale by visiting Now Sarah researches deeply into the subjects for her stories, and the last wolf in England was no different. Following accounts of the chase, Sarah plotted the route of the wolf on Google Maps, and looked up a 16th century map of Cumbria and Westmoreland. Sarah says she was initially sceptical of the recorded route, but found that the chase was around 40 kilometres. Not only did this correspond with the usual distance that a wolf is said to walk in a day, but the whole route is around 120 kilometres, the precise distance that a wolf, pressured by food shortage, is said to roam in a day. For Sarah, part of the tragedy of the tale arises from the comparison between the wild wolf and the domesticated hounds that are used to exterminate her. She says... From the wolf's perspective, the hounds are like the experimental subjects from H.G. Wells' novel The Island of Dr. Moreau. The wolf has had parents, friends, children, social status within a community of wolves. The hounds are wrenched away from their parents, raised to serve, trained entirely in behaviours chosen by humans, not permitted to choose their own partners or friends, encouraged to be dependent, bred to be unthinking and questioning, and even to rejoice in their servitude. The loss of the canid community, its social rituals, its local and hunting knowledge, that is also an aspect of the tale of the last wolf. You've been listening to The Last Wolf in England. A bonus episode of Lore and Legend with our featured guest teller, Sarah Pearl, and your host, Rick Scott. You can listen to my own reading of The Last Wolf Tale from the original published poem. This episode won't be on our main podcast channel. Instead, it will be available to download for free from the Lore and Legend website through Gumroad. But we will be requesting that you do consider a donation for downloading this extra content. The music in this episode was performed by Robert Bentall with additional music and sound effects from freesound.org. To find out more about episodes of Law & Legend, you can visit www.lawandlegend.co.uk and check out our episode blog posts, as well as seeing all of the upcoming episodes for the rest of the season. If you'd like to support the work that we're doing, you can find the link there to support us regularly on Patreon, or to offer a one-time donation via PayPal. Thanks for listening, story folk, and you will hear again from us soon.